Welcome to Trash Compactor. I'm Josh. Today we have a very special episode. The James Smithson Bicentennial Medal was named after James Smithson, who, among other things, was the founding donor of the Smithsonian Institution. And the Smithson Medal is an award given to, and I'm quoting from the Smithsonian's actual website here, persons who have made distinguished contributions to the advancement of areas of interest to the Smithsonian. As of this recording, the Smithson Medal has been awarded to 69 people, including Jacques Cousteau, Rosemary Clooney, Dolores Huerta, Julia Child, Walter Cronkite, and on October 24th, 1997, to one Mr. George Lucas. A blurb that morning in the Washington City paper noted, Briefly leaving the world of Wookiees for the city of Wonks, Star Wars creator George Lucas will today receive the James Smithson Bicentennial Medal for his work, which is the subject of an exhibition opening this Friday at the Air and Space Museum. This Smithsonian tribute to George Lucas includes some remarks from Lucas at 3 p.m. at George Washington University's Leisner Auditorium. And the reason I'm telling you all this is because I, your faithful host, was among those in attendance that day, and I was able to be there because of today's special guest, who I am very proud to welcome to the show, Kathy, otherwise known as my mom. Should I call you Kathy or mom? It feels weird to call you Kathy. Well, why don't you say my mom, Kathy Bernhard, and then just keep referring to me as mom. So mom. Yeah. So today's guest, Kathy, otherwise known as my mom. Hi, mom. Hi, Josh. Thank you very much for coming on my little podcast. I appreciate it very much. My pleasure. So the reason I asked you on is because you took me out of school that day to fly to Washington, D.C. from New York to see George Lucas get this award. And I was wondering why you did that. So it wasn't quite as simple as that. Um, that was a... I'll call it a compromise solution. The original plan was very different and didn't include me at all. Um, and that plan fell through. Then you had a plan that I couldn't get on board with. And so this wait, is I'm what sorry. Came wait, I'm sorry. Instead. Wait, sorry. Sorry. What was the original plan? The original plan was your grandmother and her husband. Oh, oh because she lived in Baltimore. Outside of Baltimore, Ellicott City, yeah. Oh, I see. So I would have gone there, and then it would have been easy to get to D.C. Well, she was going to take you. Oh. Uh, this, this was all your idea that you, I don't know how, but you somehow became aware of this event. And I do remember you saying that this was like a one-time opportunity because George Lucas was no longer making public appearances, and he was making an exception to accept this award. So in your mind, if you didn't get to see him then in person, you might never get to see him. So you asked. Wow. If, well, wait a second. You're you're blowing my mind because that is not my memory at all. My memory and the way that I recount the story whenever I tell somebody is that you read about this and this was your idea. And I see you're shaking your head. No, this I seems don't think so. I no, don't it seems, think so. It, it's <laughs> I I could be wrong. No, um, it does. But my, but my no, it, I don't think you're wrong at all. This sounds this sounds like me. You came up with this plan, and I think you asked, "Would it be okay if you asked your grandmother if she would take you?" And Dad and I said, "Sure." And my mother said, "Sure," and I think she was very flattered that 
you asked her and she wanted to be able to do this for you. And you made very clear how important it was because of the fact that George Lucas was at a point in his career that he was no longer making public appearances, which was news to me. I mean, I was not a follower of George Lucas. Um, so that was the plan. You were going to go by some means to Maryland and she or she and her husband um, were going to take you to George Washington University where this appearance was, was being made. And then what happened was her husband got sick, so she couldn't take you. So your plan B at 13 years old was you were just going to hop on Amtrak and figure out the public transportation to get yourself to George Washington University all on your own. I have no memory of this whatsoever. Well, I do because this probably won't surprise you, but that plan was not acceptable to me. <laughs> um, so even at 13, you were quite a persistent fellow, pretty much like a dog with a bone, and you were bound and determined that you were going. And I was pushing back at you and I was saying, well, you better figure out some other way to do it because you're not going by yourself. And this went on for whatever period of time. It's probably a shorter period of time than I remember. And then I kind of had an epiphany because you asked me why I did this. And today I have a very clear memory of why I did it. And my epiphany was, hey, idiot, how many times do you have an opportunity to make a dream come true for your kid? That's really what my thought process said. And once that dawned on me, I decided, okay, I can take a day off from work. I guess I was going to let you take a day off from school anyway, or I don't know, maybe it was during vacation. No, it wasn't during vacation. It, it was, I have a very I have a very clear memory okay. that a part of the fun of this was that I got to miss a day of school. Well, I guess I, I guess I had already decided that um, it was okay for you to miss a day of school. But what flipped it around for me was I realized I had a chance to really make a dream come true for you. And I decided, okay, so at the time I had a job where I did a fair amount of traveling. So I said to you, all right, well, we'll pretend that it's a business trip. And you'll see that, yes, there's some parts of it that are nice, and there are some parts of it that frankly suck. So we oh, got a So it was also like a, a little bit of a teachable moment. So I could see what traveling for work was like for you. Yeah, well, that was like a side benefit. Well, sure. That, sure. Was, that was a side benefit for me. And yes, I was yes. just curious to see what your reaction was going to be. Because we got up early and we took, at that time, there were still, I don't think this exists anymore, but there were still shuttles that went like every hour or every other hour from LaGuardia to DC and also LaGuardia to Boston. So we took the shuttle with a whole lot of business people. And I don't remember which airport it went to, but we got there. And then I really didn't know very much about DC as a city and there certainly wasn't GPS or anything like that. Um, and anyway, I think we took public transportation because I remember being underground and sort of navigating whatever they call it, the equivalent of the subway. The um, metro, I think. Yeah, yeah the metro um, to get to, to GW. So we get to GW and we're pretty early. And there was a very long line 
outside. Do you have any memory of this, of waiting in a very long line outside for several hours? The several hours part, I don't know. I, I do remember, I do have a strong memory of waiting in a long line. And I remember there was at least a couple of guys dressed up like Indiana Jones. I remember oh, one that, guy in I don't remember that. No, yeah, there was a guy dressed up like Indiana Jones. I do remember waiting outside for sure. Um, but I want to back up for a sec. I, the, um, what you said about that epiphany you had, how often do you get the chance to make a dream come true for your kid? That's really sweet and lovely. And I want to say thank you for that. It's the truth. And now that you're a parent, I hope you have the opportunity to do that for your daughter one day. Oh, but it. I appreciate that, but it's too early in this recording to start to make me cry. So, so, um, but I also have a question. Why, why do you think this was so important to me? Why do you think it was a dream of mine to meet this man, to meet George Lucas? Do you have any idea why? Well, I think that you idolized him. I think he was one of your heroes. And even though at that age, I might not have had a deep enough appreciation for how seriously invested you were in his work and the work of other filmmakers that you admired. And I can't tell you the moment when that dawned on me, but that reframed everything when I looked at it that way, instead of the way I had been looking at it as probably an overprotective parent that I don't know if 13 years old is old enough to go by yourself. And what if this happens? And what if that happens? Sure, sure. And then all of a sudden, it's like a, a light bulb went off for me and I did a complete 180 and I decided there's a way to meet your needs and my needs. And that's if I go with you. So I decided, what's the big deal? I can take one day off from work. No, that's a, I mean, that's a, a wonderful um, parenting moment. I don't know what they give for those gold stars or thumbs up, but, but uh, you get top marks for that. That's a really lovely thing that you arrived at. So, so um, I would say one other thing about that, if I can give just a tiny bit of parenting advice, and it took me a very long time to realize this, but when you realize that sometimes you're just projecting your own irrational fears on your kid. It's very freeing. How to stop doing that, I couldn't tell you, but at <laughs> least being aware that it happens. Um, and that was certainly part of it. Because this was, this was all foreign to me. I didn't know DC. So I couldn't picture what you would be doing and if it would be safe and what I could tell you to do to make yourself safe. And I just didn't think... 13 years old was old enough to be doing it yourself. I, I don't know if I would feel the same way today, but that's sure how I felt in 1997. I want to kind of reframe that question I asked about why this was so important to me to to see George Lucas in person. I guess what what I'm curious, what you think of the passion that I had for this man and his work and film and filmmaking. And, you know, I was also a big Star Trek fan. I was a movie fan. And in my memory, I was quite obsessive and, and, and quite, it was very, very meaningful to me. And I was just, I guess I'm just curious 
number one, if you have any idea where that comes from, and number two, what you thought of that as my parent. I know where it doesn't come from. It doesn't come okay. from either of your, it doesn't come from either of your parents. Now, what do so, you mean by that? Well, it's not as though either I or your dad cultivated this interest because it was a, something that we were into that we wanted to share with you. Right, right. Neither one of us knew very much uh, about any of it. And also, if you put this in context of how old you were and when this was, I think that this was shortly after your bar mitzvah. And if you remember your bar mitzvah and all of the discussions about the theme, and it was all you, things that you cared about. It was all related to movies and your favorite films. And oh, so sure. We, yeah. 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 The theme so we had, right. we had a lot of discussions about how important this was to you a few months before that, when we were planning the party after your bar mitzvah. And I also have a clear recollection of the party planner lady when you told her that you wanted each table named after um, a famous movie and a director, she said, okay, but you have to provide me all that information because she didn't understand many of the references that, that you were making. So that's just one example that is pretty vivid to me of even at that age, how much you knew about it, how much you cared about it, and I remember saying on that day that, I don't know if, if you remember this, but the parental speech, I said that you were blessed with um, not only um, a vivid imagination and passion, but really clear dreams about what you wanted for your future. And it always included filmmaking. So I, I did have that sense reinforced or underscored by that recent milestone in your life. Well, that's and, true. That's funny, actually, because um, uh, because I didn't remember the exact timing of this. But you're right. This would have been just shy of one month from my bar mitzvah where I, quote unquote, became an adult. <laughs> uh, depending but not on you. old enough. Not old enough to go to D.C. by yourself. Right. Yes. And roam around a college campus by yourself. Actually, I think it was like like a month after your bar mitzvah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Is that not what I said? Uh, no, I guess you did. The other thing that I remember, and I don't want to turn this in, into a discussion of, of religion, but my recollection is the way that the rabbi got your attention and befriended you is that she invited you to partake in any of her collection of, I don't know if it was Star Wars or Star Trek. Star she Trek. Had a she was a Star she, Right. Yeah. She, she had a library. She was a, Star, she was a Star Trek fan and she was also a Babylon 5 fan, which also really impressed me at the time. Right. But, but yes. Um, no, that's, that's, how, that's how she tried to bond with you, as I recall. <laughs> that's very funny. And, and it, sort of, it, it sort of worked. No, no, no. She was a very smart lady. Um, but you asked me if I remember, if I had any memory of uh, what you said about having a passion and how and how important that was. Something you said to me that has stuck with me to this day 
I actually think about it a lot. One of those times that you were expressing to me how special it was that I had a passion and I knew what I wanted for my future, you also, you told me that not everyone has that. Oh, for sure. But that really blew my mind because that's not something that I understood. That had never occurred to me. And and that, at what that, at what point in your life was that? How old were you? Oh, I don't I don't remember. I m- may have been around the age we're talking about. It was like between 13 and 17 if I had to guess. I want I wanted you to know how special it is and that it's a in my mind it's a gift. It's a a blessing and I guess it's a little bit of a double-edged sword sometimes because mm. it's it's a difficult business but from the youngest age, you were single-minded of purpose. I can't remember you ever talking about wanting to do anything else with your life, wanting to be involved in anything else as as a a, a profession or a, a vocation. I wanted to go to USC because that's where George Lucas went to film school. I'm not sure I knew that. No, you knew that because I talked. To, no, because you you were. I was ruling really out. Hard... I was ruling really you... out airplanes at the time. Yeah, you had you you said I don't know if you said absolutely no, but but you said no because it's it's too far away because I don't think you wanted me to go to California to 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 school. Right. I wanted you to go away. I wanted you to have a yeah, college but not that experience. <laughs> I right. In my head, you could go as far as you can go without having to take an airplane. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. I understand that. <laughs> that was <laughs> Again, I don't know that I would say that now, but that's how I felt then. I no, I understand that. So let's discuss the the event itself. I remember now that you mention it, I do remember there was a lot of waiting. We go into the auditorium. There were some other speakers, all of which were known and of great interest to me, probably not to you. So that was all very fascinating to me. But um, what is your memory of when George Lucas came on the stage and accepted the award, and if you have any memory of his remarks, of what he spoke about. Can we just back up a second? If yeah, we, of course. If we're sort of going to do this in a linear or chronological yeah. way. Yeah, go ahead. So when we were waiting in the line, and it it was easily two hours, if not longer than that, because I think it started... Well, you said, I think it started in the af- in the afternoon. and Yeah, like uh, three or something like that. Yeah. Um, so there was a, a guy with a clipboard that was walking around asking people if they had questions for George Lucas because he wasn't going to answer any ad hoc questions. He oh. would choose from among the written questions from the crowd. And if people wanted to submit a question, they had to give their name and and they would be called upon. I would have bet money that you would have had a question. And I was amazed when the guy came to us and you said, no, you didn't have a question. And I was really surprised by that. And what I thought was, you must have a lot of questions, but for whatever reason, you didn't want to ask it. Weird. Um, I have no memory of that. Uh, That strikes me as odd as well. Because I would have thought my question would have been, you know, how do I be you? How do I do what you do? Well, it's interesting what happened. I don't remember, in answer to your question, I don't remember a whole lot about what 
George Lucas said when he was accepting the award. And you have to remember, I knew who he was, but I knew very little about him. You knew everything there was to know, but I really didn't know too much about him. I was impressed by him as a speaker, although I can't remember what he said in his prepared remarks. What I do remember clear as day, and I would be surprised if you didn't remember some of this, um, when they got to the Q&A period and they chose however many questions that I guess had been vetted before, one of the questioners was a contemporary of yours. I think he said he was 13 years old and he said, I very much want to be a filmmaker and I'm interested in what advice would you give to someone at my age who aspires to be a filmmaker? And I was like sitting on the edge of my seat because even though you didn't ask the question, I knew you wanted to hear that answer. And honestly, I could not have scripted him better myself. The first thing he said is, forget about the technical aspects of making a movie. Somebody else can worry about that or you can learn that later. The most important thing you can do is to go learn about the world. He said, go take courses in history, go take courses in mythology, go take courses in anthropology. If you want to be a filmmaker, you have to have something to say that's of interest to other people. You have to have stories that are, I don't know what he said, compelling. Um, and the only way you're going to be able to interest people in your stories is if you learn about the world. And I was, I just said to myself, yes, the minute he said <laughs> that, because I, I didn't really know very much about film school and I wanted you to get an education. Um, and I'm curious what your reaction was to his having said that, if you remembered it, because for me, the whole trip was worth it just to have you hear him say that in person. <laughs> no, well, well, I I absolutely remember that very specifically. And in my sort of paraphrased version of it, I always recount it as it's not enough to know how to make movies. You need to have something to make movies about. Yes, yes. And the reason I think that I remember that so specifically is because I know that had a great impact on you because over the years, you reminded me of what he said. It feels like you that that every so often you would remind me of his words that he said that every parent should be opportunistic. <laughs> um, I'm quite sure I did. The other thing that I remember specifically, and I also remember this because you commented on it. I also think it had a big impact on you. I guess not that much because uh, it seems like you don't recall it now, but when he got up to speak, so he was announced, he was given the award, and then he had to give his remarks. He like he unfolded his pre-written remarks or whatever, and he kind of looked at it and he said something like, oh, geez, I don't know how I'm going to get through all this. And the, the audience kind of laughed because it was clear he doesn't enjoy public speaking, right? Mm. So so it was, you know, kind of a humorous moment. And I remember you saying to me, I don't know if this was on the train ride home or the plane ride home, 
But I remember you expressing to me that that really humanized him for you, that it seemed like he was he was nervous to get up there and speak. Huh. No, I, I really have no recollection of that. When I think about it, I can picture the the auditorium. And I hope I'm not confusing this with the Kennedy Center Awards, but I think there was a real medal. I th- he was yeah, awarded think, a medal, yeah, and I think yeah, he I had think so. it on a ribbon around his neck or, or, or it was placed over his head and was hanging. Yes, I think you're correct. You know, I'm surprised. In preparation for this, I did a little Googling because I wanted to make sure I got the details right because I didn't remember exactly when it was and I didn't recall some of the stuff. Um, I was surprised. I couldn't find a single photo. I couldn't find a single video. Ideally, I was hoping that there was a video of his remarks. I don't know if maybe there's an audio recording in the Smithsonian archives. Actually, I'm actually curious. I might actually reach out and see if they do, because I'm just curious what he said now hearing what our fragmented memories are. I wonder what it was he actually said. You know, it's interesting, given what you said about his discomfort, I wonder if he made sure that there wasn't any oh, interesting. ongoing record of it. I don't know. So what's funny about that, and I'm sure you know nothing about this, but basically between between the third and final Star Wars movie of the original Star Wars trilogy in, in 1983 and 1997, he kept a very low public profile. He became a father. He went through a, a very awful divorce, and he he decided to concentrate on you know raising his children and building his company, which ended up creating the technology that completely changed the way films are made. Like like the editing software that I use for work that I use every single day was created at one of his companies. The progenitor of it, not the literal. What, so, was that at the ILM company? Yeah. Well, so he had several companies. So there was Industrial Light and Magic and an animation company that became Pixar. Okay. But they basically created what's called nonlinear editing software, which is the editing software that everybody uses. Because it used to be to edit a movie, you had physical reels of film on kind of a flatbed and you were physically manipulating real physical film you were literally cutting it with a splicer and you were gluing it or taping it together and then you had to so it was a real like it was a manual and and time consuming process especially when you made a mistake and you wanted to change something and his special effects company ILM completely changed the way movies are made in terms of special effects but also that digital workflow the way that i'm able to this 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 recording that you know we're making right now the way that i am going to manipulate it and change it it relies on technology that was developed at his companies in the 1980s i wanted to ask you if you had any reaction to the fact that I knew ILM, Industrial Light and Magic. Oh, actually, now that you mention it, that is very impressive. Um, <laughs> and do you know why? Can you remember why I might remember that? No. Well, 
the answer to that question is yet another example of how I knew that all of this was so important to you, because you may remember that we took a trip to San Francisco as a family, and we spent several hours driving around. Oh, we tried to find Skywalker Ranch. We, we tried did. to find. Yeah, we tried to we find. We did. Sky. We got. We got as far as Lucas Valley Road. Right, and which you took is... a picture of the street sign. Oh, I wonder if I still have that somewhere. That was as close as we could get, and boy, were you unhappy. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was very picturesque. It was a nice drive. Yes, yes, it was. Um, but we were driving around in circles, and you kept saying, "Dad, let's just let's just try going around here one more time." That's um, so funny. Yeah, no, that's true. I I am now I am now recalling that. I apologize, uh, retro. No, it's okay. The, um, it's okay. It was a it was a lovely area, but wherever that place is or was, it was so far off the beaten track that your average person couldn't find it. No, no, it's very far from the road for obvious reasons because people like me are looking for it and want to <laughs> look at it. Um, a little bit of trivia: I always assumed Lucas Valley Road was named after George Lucas, but it's not. The property that he found and he liked to build Skywalker Ranch just ha- so happened to be off of a road that was called Lucas Valley Road. That's funny. We yeah. also found out on that trip that they. There was some provision for doing tours of industrial light and magic, but you had to have reservations like weeks ahead of time. So that was a disappointment, too, that you were so close yet so far. Well, once again, thank you for indulging me. I appreciate that (laughs) very much. It wasn't so much indulging you. I realized, Dad and I both realized at some point, that this was not just some interest that you had. This is integral to who you were, even as a young teenager. How do you think that happened? Why do you think that that is? I realize that that's a question you probably won't be able to answer, but I'm just curious if you have any thoughts why that why that is. Well, I mean, this is this is not a, a very comprehensive answer, but I I think it's just indicative of your personality and. It could have been this. It could have been something else. I think it's just part of your personality that. No, but that's my question. No, but that's my question. Why this and not something else? Like, what do you think it is? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Although, as you got older, you were fascinated with history and, I guess, to a lesser extent, mythology. But I think there was something about the stories that you were drawn to um and you're you're also a very visual person so i i mean i i remember the first time that you and later your sister as well started talking to me about pixels and i didn't know what <laughs> you were talking about um and and another thing i remember you going on and on and on about the importance of what is it called letterbox oh yeah um, letterbox Yes. And not only did I not not even appreciate the difference, being a non-visual person, it looked it took me way too long to even understand what the heck you were talking about. <laughs> yeah, well, to so because at the time a regular television set was 
more or less a square. It's actually four to three, but it was more or less more square than rectangle. And as you know, movies are wider. So to put a movie that's a rectangle onto a machine that's a square, you have to cut off the sides. So that's what they mostly did. But for for film enthusiasts, that means that you're missing a good amount of the picture. So what they started to do in the 90s was they would release special letterboxed editions of movies on video and also Laserdisc, but we never got a Laserdisc player because that was very cost prohibitive. I think a Laserdisc was like a hundred bucks at the time. But yeah, I remember... The first time the Sci-Fi Channel showed the Star Wars movies in Letterbox, it was a revelation to me because all of a sudden these movies that I thought I knew like the back of my hand, I realized I had never actually seen the whole thing before. Because you didn't see it in a movie theater. Not only because I didn't see it in a movie theater, but because the sides were cut off. Got it. You know, you just reminded me of something else when we were talking about movie theaters. Another sort of tip off about how important this was to you was when a a new movie came out whether it was star wars or something else that you were really interested in you had this thing that you had to go see it the minute it opened you had to be at the first showing and i remember you like waiting in line outside or talking about waiting in line outside and if you didn't get to see it at the first showing which sometimes was like at midnight then there was something lost about it for you there was something in the experience that wasn't going to be the same if other people had seen it before you did thanks no no you're absolutely correct thankfully that's something that i've mellowed a lot about as i've gotten older but there was something very i couldn't stand the idea especially where the star wars movies were concerned because as you say they were so i don't want to say foundational to my my identity but they were very very important to me so the thought that someone else might see a new star wars movie before me was was just it just drove me crazy it just it just wasn't something that I was willing to allow to happen if I could. And for for each one of the the prequel movies, the new movies, obviously I wasn't alive when the original ones were in theaters. Through different circumstances, I managed to see all three of them early. And for the second of the prequels, that premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival. And my graduation present, you you and dad got me a ticket to the premiere event. I think it opened the Tribeca Film Festival, which was either the first or second one. No, well, it must have been the first one because it was 2002 because it was started after 9-11. So so it must have been the first Tribeca Film Festival. So I saw that one like a week early. Obviously, Dad and I were not creative enough to come up with that idea on our own. I think that we asked you, what would you like as a graduation present? And that's what you said. and. We were happy to do that. I remember that you didn't mind going by yourself, but I had, I would have no recollection of what the movie was. When you just said that, that was like news to me that it was a Star Wars movie. I'm sure I knew at the time. So each of these little snippets should help to answer your question about how it was that Dad and I happened to realize how important this was to you. Had you ever seen a Star Wars movie? I've only ever seen one. It was with you and the rest of our family 
and your grandmother and probably her husband in Florida because we were on vacation. Oh, the, oh, the special edition. Oh, yes. Yeah. When the special edition of The Empire Strikes Back opened, we were visiting Florida. Right. And I wasn't and I wasn't going to miss the opening up. No, no, no. I'm sorry. We went to see. Oh, God, I think I saw two Star Wars movies that week because I saw the Empire Strikes Back special edition opened while we were down there and dad took me and then Star Wars, the special edition had opened the previous month in January and it was still playing. And I guess I thought it would be a great idea for the whole family to go and see Star Wars together. We all did. So I saw and, two Star Wars movies in Florida when we were ostensibly supposed to be visiting. Uh, well, we we were still visiting. I mean, yeah. it, it wasn't unusual for us to go to a movie. That's I, true. That's funny. I remember nothing about the movie. It's the only Star Wars movie I've ever seen. No, that's actually not true. Because when episode one came out, which I don't know if you recall, but the day that it opened, me and my friends, we bought a ticket for for every single showing and we spent the whole day in the theater just seeing the movie over and over and over again and a few weeks later i think i asked you would you have any interest in coming to see this movie with me and you came with me to a screening of episode one i i remember that very specifically but but I, I guess I it didn't don't. leave much. I guess it didn't leave much of an impression on you. I honestly don't. What I remember more about the one in Florida, I do remember, and I couldn't tell you which one it was, but I do remember going to the one in Florida. I remember that I think it was the first time I was in a movie theater that had stadium seating, and I was very oh, impressed with that. Speaking of of watching Star Wars and Graham, my grandmother, your mother, the reason why we realized that I needed glasses was because I was watching Return of the Jedi on our 20-inch TV in the den, sitting on the couch with Graham. She must have been visiting us. And in that movie, when certain alien characters are speaking alien languages, there are subtitles. And Graham noticed that when the subtitles came on, I got up and moved really close to the TV so I could read them. Really? And she went and told you, I think Josh might need glasses. And how old were you? I remember the first year, school year I started with glasses was fifth grade. So this must so have been... 10. Yeah. Huh. I, I don't really remember that. Wow. And she was right, apparently. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So one other thing that I just wanted to share with you, if you don't mind going back to the George Washington no. University... Because we got there so early, we went and hung out in the student union at GW before the the line was even forming. And I remember thinking, wow, he's 13. He really doesn't look a lot younger than most of the kids that are here. And then my <laughs> mind went to, oh, no, it's only going to be however many years, five years, and he's going to leave and he's going to go to college. And I, I was just struck by the fact that we were in a college student union and you look like you belonged there. <laughs> well, that's very charitable because I've recently seen photos of myself at that age and I look like a child. So so you we 
I recently did an episode where we listened to the unearthed recording of the interview Sam and I did with Mark Hamill in 1995. No, six, six, six. So it was uh, about a year before this. And there were photos from the event where we met him and we looked like children. I mean, I guess a lot of growth can happen in the span of a year at that age. But but I, I, I think you might be being charitable. I, I don't know. I just remember thinking you didn't look that out of place there. And and that was somewhat overwhelming to me. No, well, well because I also dressed. So I remember. So this was the 90s. So flannel was in. Right. Mm. Um. So I remember that I always used to wear flannel shirts. And I think it also had something to do with the fact that uh, you probably don't know this, but George Lucas is also well known for for wearing almost exclusively flannel, flannel shirts. I did not know that. I did not know that. And so I can't recall, but it wouldn't surprise me if I was wearing flannel shirts because I wanted to be like George Lucas. And yet another new tidbit of information I was heretofore unaware of. Um, I want to figure out how to how to wrap this up. I feel like I should have some some profound question. I was actually going to ask you what it was like to raise a Star Wars nerd, but I feel like we got into a lot of that stuff through this conversation. No, yeah, and I didn't really have the appreciation that I would I would say I have today for exactly how invested in it you were and how important it was and how much it has influenced the adult that you became. Okay, well, that's an interesting question. How how do you feel it's influenced the adult that I've become? I don't know if I can express it any more than just like I feel that being a writer is part of who you are. I think, and, I, and I've told you that many times, I think it's related to that, that it, mm. it's like, I remember you at a reasonably young age, and you probably were doing it before I was even aware of it, um, but I know that, well, now you probably do it on your phone, but you used to carry around a little notebook, and you used to, like, jot down ideas for stories as they would come to you and, and i don't know if that's it's probably not star wars per se but that's part of what i mean when i say that being a writer and and telling stories is is part of who i think you are as a person that's true <laughs> that's true i think those movies gave me a framework for understanding the world because really, that and Star Trek, but George Lucas has said many times that he was explicitly trying to create a mythological framework for kids to to teach kids how to be good members of society, like to to instill in them values, to to show them how to face challenges in life, and you know. I think he succeeded in doing that. And I think that, you know, it is interesting because a lot of Star Wars really, and I don't know how much of this was conscious on his part, but it was really about 
transferring from generation to generation, both knowledge through wisdom and also mistakes and how those things are passed on from the older generation to the younger generation, writ large through conflicts between a republic and a fascist empire and a group of rebels, and also writ small. It's about reconciling your relationship with your father and becoming your your own person and charting your own path and reconciling who your parents were with who you are and learning what those differences are and being okay with that and then doing the same for your children that's 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 what these these movies i think ultimately are about so on a much much smaller scale not anywhere near the detail that you just so articulately expressed, I do remember referring to Star Wars as science fiction, and you very quickly corrected me, and you said, no, 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 these are not science fiction movies. That's not what this is about. There's, I don't know if you use the word depth, but, but you were trying to convey that there's, there's much more there's a much deeper message there's there's much more meaning to it than special effects and and things of that nature yeah i mean it's really more it's really what i say now is that star wars is not science fiction it's really fantasy with science fiction iconography it's really what it is and it looks like a space I, movie all i really remember from the movie that we saw i guess in florida was the the battle scenes and the and the the um i don't know if they're aircraft spacecrafts whatever they were and how fascinated you were by all of that in addition well yeah so i mean it's like you know the sugar that makes the medicine go down it's about all these things but it's also exciting and visual and engaging and fun and humorous and it's all this stuff it's a it's a fun movie to watch but there's also really a lot going on you know there's a quote ryan johnson who's the director of one of the recent films said that um here i want to get the quote right she is she a woman r-i-a-n he He? Uh, no it's with an i yes so ryan johnson who directed one of the more recent star wars films he made a tweet where he said George Lucas made a beautiful seven-hour-long movie for children about how entitlement and fear of loss turns good people into fascists and did it while spearheading nearly every technical sea change in modern filmmaking of the past 30 years. Wow. And 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 where is he getting the seven hours from? Is that the combined trilogy? Yes. Yes, the combined trilogy the combined length. So that's sort of a more eloquent version of what I was saying. Like, all that stuff is there, but when you're a kid... You're excited with the the spaceships and the the sword fights and the lasers, the speed and the the action stuff. But at the same time, you're also absorbing all of these these messages. And I guess I I really at the time I didn't realize that I thought it was all of the the former that you was important to you. Did you know? The reason George Lucas made Star Wars? Certainly not. Well, he had just made American Graffiti, which I know you've seen. Yes. 
And correct me if I'm wrong, but you like that movie. You have some fondness for that movie. It's about your generation, basically. Right, right. Right. And it was a big success. And his follow-up movie, the next movie he was going to make, was actually supposed to be Apocalypse Now. Really? Which was, yeah. He was originally supposed to direct Apocalypse Now from a script that he and his friend John Milius wrote. But the reaction to American Graffiti was so positive. He heard from a lot of young, the youth of the 70s, essentially, saying how uplifting it was and, um, you know, what a positive impact it had on them to see just a fun kind of happy-go-lucky movie. Because if you recall at the time, like it came out in 1973 and, uh, you know, Vietnam was still going on. You know, Nixon was in the White House and there was all the Watergate stuff was in the air. And it was a really rough time. And George Lucas decided that he wanted to that that made him realize that there were no movies anymore for kids to, you know, learn about the world and be uplifted and. He also said, this is reminding me of something else that I'm pretty sure he said in the the acceptance speech. He said, it's really easy to make a movie that depresses people, that tells people what a horrible place this is. But the challenge is to make an uplifting movie that makes people leaving uplifted. Wow. I guess that makes and, sense. And if I could get the remarks from the Smithsonian that may or may not exist, I could confirm if he actually said it in that or not. But but but, but that is my memory. And if you think about it, he was going to make Apocalypse Now, which was about Vietnam. And that all went into Star Wars. Star Wars is about a group of scrappy rebels fighting a massive technologically advanced empire. The good guys are the Viet Cong. And the bad guys are the U.S. military. Like, that's that's what Star Wars is. Star Wars is about Vietnam. I had no idea. I had no idea. Um. So in closing, here's how I'll end it. What did you think when I asked you to be on this podcast? I wanted to do it. And my first thought was, I don't know that I'm going to have that much to say. Apparently, I was wrong about that. <laughs> Uh, well, I knew we would have something to say. This is just a conversation. That's all these things are. Right, right. Um, I definitely wanted to do it. I listen to the podcast. Oh, well, you do? Yes, I do. Um, well, that, and there, thank there, you. There, there, there are a couple of things that that you said tonight that that I knew because I've heard them on the podcast. Um, I can't say that that I always understand all of the conversation, but especially since we live 3,000 miles apart. I like to hear your voice. And I've, I've learned things about you and what you were thinking when you were 10 years old, when you were 12 years old, <laughs> like, like, like the, the, the newsletter, the, the uh, Star Wars newsletter. That you helped me do that. You, I know. You, yes. I know. But I didn't remember much about it. And I guess it's another podcast, but all the stuff about mint condition. I mean, so yeah. so I wanted to be part of this. I wanted to have this conversation with you. You really listen to the podcast? <laughs> I do when I walk, usually oh, when nice. I walk or sometimes if I can't sleep. So so just out of curiosity, 
aside from hearing my voice, what do you get out of it with with so much of it that's that's that kind of goes over your head because you don't know what we're talking about? Well, I'm I'm not ashamed to say I'm your number one fan. Um, and when I <laughs> when I hear you talk about things going way back to the kid that used to live in this house. And I'm realizing there were things that were going on in your head that I had no clue about. Even the, 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 um, the newsletter. And yes, I, I have some recollection vague of you doing that, but listening to the podcast gave me a, a another whole sort of view into what you were thinking at 10 years old that I had no clue about and and better late than never. That must be interesting. Oh, it's, it's, it's more than interesting. And it, it's hard to explain, but it, it makes me feel closer to you because we don't, see each other other than on a screen very often because of factors outside of our control and i don't know i i think it it just makes for a, a a deeper bond between us as adults that i have a better understanding of how you came from the child that i knew to the adult that i'm very proud to know now i love that that's really sweet and that makes a lot of sense and for those who may be questioning why I am doing a Star Wars podcast with my mother. I just want to reiterate, Star Wars is about children and their parents learning to understand each other and come to terms with who they are. And I think this episode was a great example of that actually happening. Well, thank you sincerely for agreeing to do this. I had no doubt that this was going to be a great conversation, and it certainly did not disappoint. And I love you, Mom. I love you, too. If you liked what you heard, please rate us at podchaser.com slash trashcompod. We're trashcompod across all social media. And transcripts are available at trashcompod.com. And we will see you on the next one. (laughs) 